Hello and welcome to episode 150 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. 150 episodes, huh? I'm as amazed as you that we've gone so far. But as you'd expect, no best off moments or any of that nonsense. But let's get back to what I try to do every week, telling you stories. Whether this is the first time you've listened or you've heard them all, you're very welcome and thank you so much for listening. Today's story from North London is another very disturbing and violent episode, exploring some of our common themes we encounter on this podcast, such as jealousy and control. And when you've finished here, I've been keeping busy at UKTrueCrime.com, so please take a look at my latest article on, of all things, something I couldn't even spell last week, bigamy. Today's show is sponsored by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is the UK's leading recipe box service, delivering fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step recipes to your door. It's the easy and convenient way to cook delicious dinners from scratch every time. Choose your recipes from 19 recipes every week, including rapid recipes ready in 20 minutes or less, family favourites, British and world cuisine, and even a balanced low-calorie range. And because all their fresh ingredients come direct from their suppliers, pre-portioned for you, there's no food waste. One of the things I really like about HelloFresh is the flexibility they offer. There are no minimum terms, so you can skip weeks, change the box size, and even the delivery address if you are out of town. Basically, they make it all so easy for you. Enjoy delicious moments with HelloFresh. Head to hellofresh.co.uk, choose a box, a delivery slot, and add your favourite recipes. Discover the easy way to delicious dinners from scratch. HelloFresh are offering my listeners an amazing £60 off four boxes. Just visit hellofresh.co.uk and use the promo code TRUECRIME. That's right, HelloFresh will give you £60 off four boxes. Just visit hellofresh.co.uk and use the code TRUECRIME. I'm delighted that this week's show is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Those of you who have met me will know just how stylish I am. Okay, maybe not then, but I am now, due to Stitch Fix. As you know, finding the perfect item of clothing can feel great, but shopping for it is such hard work. With so many of the same brands on every high street, it's easy to get into a style rut and just wear the same stuff all the time. That's why Katrina Lake started Stitch Fix after leaving Harvard. Like you and me, She wanted to dress well without all the hassle. This is where the online service from Stitch Fix is so awesome. After filling in a quick questionnaire about my personal style, size and wants, a personal stylist sent to my door five items of clothing, each handpicked for me from a selection of a 100 of the best European brands, including established names, cool emerging designers and exclusive brands. A brilliant opportunity to discover new clothing I probably wouldn't have found on my own. I loved the choices and kept each item, but if I hadn't, I'd just have sent it back free of charge. Just so easy and low risk. What isn't there to like? The awesome news is that Stitch Fix has a special offer for listeners to this podcast. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support my show by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash true right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co dot U-K forward slash true. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon. 
Full-length bonus episode 35 covering the murder of Hannah Foster in Southampton was released this week. Let's briefly set some context for today's story by taking a quick peek at the music we were listening to at the time of today's events, the 13th of March, 2008. Top of the UK charts was from the TV drama Casualty, Mercy by Duffy. I wonder if Charlie was on the piano. Flow Rider featuring T-Pain was number one in the US charts with Low, and the top album in Australia was Jack Johnson with Sleep Through the Static. In the news this month, Bhutan officially became a democracy with its first ever general election. Maybe in the UK we could learn some lessons on how a democracy should operate, would you think? In UK true crime news, the inquest into the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, heard that there was not a shred of evidence that the Duke of Edinburgh or MI6 ordered her death. And 39-year-old Michael Donovan from Batley Carr, West Yorkshire, was arrested for the kidnap of the nine-year-old Shannon Matthews. Today's story comes from North London. In 2008, 45-year-old father of two, Gerard Tony Paul, known to most who knew him as Tony, understandably with the first name of Gerard, was a middle-ranking civil servant. In his day job, he was responsible for the Child Protection Database at the Department for Children, Schools and Families in Whitehall, Central London. He lived on his own in Enfield, North London, and remained on good terms with his ex-wife and children. When he first met Kathleen Kirby-Jones, she liked him a lot and wondered whether he could be the man she'd been looking for. He was handsome, charming, romantic, and he seemed to get on well with her teenage son, Michael, always such an important and often tricky factor when dating with children. When Kathleen lost her job at BT and was concerned about the future, Tony couldn't have been more supportive, helping Kathleen to see that everything was going to be okay. And although Tony's job was never going to make him rich, it was a solid gig with a decent salary and other benefits. And although Kathleen was very self-sufficient and didn't ask for anything, Tony was generous with his money, buying her gifts such as gold bangles. All in all, for the minefield that is dating over 40, Tony seemed a decent guy. But what Kathleen could never have guessed at was that beyond the front he presented to the outside world, this apparently mild-mannered and very straightforward man was suffering from a crippling gambling problem. And he was in serious debt, and part of his dating strategy was to find someone with money. We aren't talking loaded necessarily, but just someone who when they moved in together would help his financial problems go away. After all, as he saw it, he'd worked hard all his life, and it wasn't fair that he was now in this precarious position as he approached 50. Kathleen had just one year left on her mortgage, and Tony saw her financial situation as a solution to his financial issues. He told friends that he wanted to move in with Kathleen and wipe out his debts, but he was worried that as she had such a good relationship with her son Michael, she would instead leave her flat to him. And it was clear why Kathleen and her son were so close. Michael was studying for a geography degree at Queen Mary's University in London, and he was a really popular young guy good company, friendly and caring. And he clearly adored his mum and was grateful for everything she'd done for him as he grew up. 
Although Tony tried to keep up the charm offensive with Kathleen, he sometimes couldn't stop himself criticising her relationship with her son. Especially when one of his increasingly large bets had been unsuccessful, adding to the pressure he was already feeling. And Tony soon began acting strangely with Michael at home. It was small things, such as asking Michael if he wanted a drink, almost as if Michael was a guest in Tony's home. Both Michael and Kathleen found this behaviour strange, as Tony was the guest, so if anything, this behaviour should have been reversed. And it wasn't just Tony's behaviour towards Michael which set the alarm bells ringing for Kathleen. Tony became increasingly controlling and possessive, trying to stop Kathleen from seeing her wider network of friends and family. At first it was minor and subtle, and Kathleen could put up with it, although it annoyed her. But over time, Tony became increasingly nasty and spiteful about pretty much everyone Kathleen spent time with except for him. She cared for Tony, but was not so head over heels in love with him that she was blind to what was happening. Kathleen clearly saw his controlling nature growing and she didn't like it, not one bit. And as Tony began to spend increasing amounts of time at her home and was making himself very comfortable there, Kathleen decided that enough was enough. So after almost a year together, Kathleen decided there was no future with Tony and she broke off the relationship in February 2008. It wasn't an easy conversation to have, as Tony had clearly not seen this coming. As you might expect, Tony didn't take this at all well and he quickly became abusive to Kathleen, telling her with relish that he cheated on her and constantly bothering her with an endless stream of calls and emails. Kathleen thought, as you or I would, that if she kept on ignoring him, that Tony would eventually go away. March the 13th was just a normal day, and Kathleen arrived home in Edmonton from her new job in a hospital, just after 5pm. But what she found inside was anything but normal. As she entered her home, she became aware of a few things that didn't seem quite right. The upstairs and downstairs lights in the communal hallway would not come on, which was unusual. The stair carpet up to Michael's bedroom wasn't as it normally was. It was ripped and folded down, which Kathleen couldn't quite understand. Then she noticed the computer was still on in the room which she and her son used as an office. Kathleen, who was on the phone to her mum at the time she went into the room, was not prepared for the sight that would greet her, one she could never erase from her mind. There, under the table, she saw Michael's lifeless, bloodied body. It was immediately clear that he'd been beaten about the head, stabbed in the back, and repeatedly slashed around the face and the neck. In fact, he had suffered 116 separate wounds. Kathleen later said, I bent over my son and tried to shake him, and I heard footsteps running down the stairs from the bedroom. I propped my body against the door and felt somebody trying to push the door open so I grabbed a chair and pushed it under the door handle to keep the door firmly shut. They were trying to get in. Utterly petrified and fearful that whoever had murdered her son would kill her next, she called the police. The intruder, without saying anything, kept barging the door, trying to get to Kathleen, and she just sat there, a prisoner in her own home, staring at her son's dead body, willing for the police to arrive quickly. They were there very rapidly, 
and shortly before the officers arrived at the scene, she heard the killer leave the house, but didn't dare move from behind her barricade just in case. Forensics experts discovered that Michael had been killed in the most horrible way, the subject of a frenzied and brutal attack, which had left him with the most appalling, mutilating injuries. He'd been tied up by the murderer with brown parcel tape, wrapped tightly around his ankles, wrists, knees and hands. His dreadful injuries included a large gaping wound to his cheek and several stab and slashing injuries, as well as a number of curved injuries to his scalp. A blunt instrument had been used as well as cutting injuries to the head and neck, beneath which were multiple fractures to the skull and facial bones. It was clear that more than one weapon had been used in the sustained attack. There was no sign of forced entry to the flat, which suggested that Michael had probably let his killer in through the front door. Assuming he had known his killer, it's hard to imagine the sheer terror he must have felt when the murderer began to bound him with tape and the attack began. Michael's ring, crucifix and St Christopher's medal chain had been stolen, so was the motivation for the murder robbery. Detective didn't think so, and immediately made an appeal for information locally, asking if any neighbours or anyone in the area had seen suspicious behaviour. Initial investigations quickly ruled out a drugs-related crime, and detectives were very clear that Michael had no involvement in gangs. After hearing from Kathleen about the recent actions of Tony Paul, they felt that he was their prime suspect for the murder. They arrested him soon after, but Tony Paul maintained his innocence, insisting that he had not killed Michael. Detectives began to delve into his life and quickly uncovered the level of financial pressures he was facing. They discovered the day before Michael was killed that Tony had been betting on the racing taking place at the Cheltenham Festival. He lost a £600 bet on a horse called Sizing Europe, a big bet way beyond what a person on his salary would normally be able to afford, especially a losing gambler like Tony. The size of his bets had been increasing as he desperately tried to recoup earlier losses. As someone who almost 10 years ago kicked an unhealthy poker and betting habit, something I can well relate to, and I imagine in your life you've known someone in a similar position. It's a dark place. It transpired that the day after Michael's death, Tony went to the home of his ex-wife and told his 18-year-old daughter Tiffany that something major had happened which changed everything. He didn't go into detail but said that to protect her this was the last time he would see her and she should change her surname so there was no connection to him. Three days later he resigned from his job in the civil service and shortly after that he was charged with the murder of Michael Jones. Gerard Tony Paul appeared at London's Old Bailey, where he denied murder at his trial. The court heard that Michael Jones was just two weeks away from his 19th birthday when he died, and the day of his death was unremarkable. He'd been due to attend lectures at university later that afternoon. Kathleen Kirby Jones had told the court about her relationship with Tony Paul, saying, He said he loved me and it made me feel uncomfortable. I didn't respond back. It came up constantly. He wanted me to say I loved him. He wanted more than I was prepared to give. Kathleen and other members of her family and her friends had to suffer 
when Paul gave evidence, saying that he was close to and genuinely fond of Michael, who he called Mikey, and he maintained that he would absolutely never have harmed in any way, saying, I really liked him and had a genuine affection for him. I'm sure he liked me too. When asked who had killed Michael, Paul had an explanation. He told the court that the people who had killed Michael were known to him, and they were Jamaican Yardie gangsters he'd met previously at an illegal Domino's gambling club. I feel very naive sometimes. One, I had no idea that illegal Domino's clubs were a thing. And two, this is where Yardie gangsters may hang out. But I digress. Paul added that the Yardie gangsters borrowed his car on the morning of the murder while he watched a horse racing from Cheltenham on TV in a drugs den. When five hours later they returned the car, the Yardies confessed to him that they'd killed Michael in a robbery that had gone wrong. Unsurprisingly, the jury didn't buy this defence for a moment and quickly found Gerard Tony Paul guilty of murder. Old Bailey Judge John Bevan sentenced him to life in prison, stipulating a minimum term of 24 years. He turned to address Paul and told him how the brutal and remorseless attack was an act of vengeance on a studious and mild-mannered boy who he saw as an obstacle to his relationship with his mum, Kathleen. He said the irony of Paul working as a middle-ranking civil servant, responsible for the child protection database at the Department for Children, Schools and Families, would not be lost on all concerned. The judge said, This is a bad case of its kind, the brutal and remorseless taking of a young man's life. He described Paul as possessing the hallmarks of a psychopath, as well as being arrogant, boastful and a compulsive liar. Paul's conceit had led him to plead not guilty in the face of overwhelming evidence, said the judge, subjecting Kathleen to another appalling ordeal in court, but in giving evidence, he betrayed his true nature to the jury. This was a truly awful crime in which a harmless, law-abiding young man was butchered as some sort of act of revenge against his mum. You were motivated by a mixture of punishment of her and dislike of him for being higher up in the pecking order than you. I have no doubt that you were after her money and Michael was an obstacle. Your hypocrisy is unattractive in the extreme. You planned to assault Kathleen five hours after you killed Michael, but were thwarted by her resistance. Speaking after the verdict, Kathleen spoke proudly about her son, saying that Michael had been a role model for other black youths, she said. He was a high achiever, winning many accolades. In times when there are so many negative images of black male youths, he was such a positive role model. He was always making jokes, always so helpful, so considerate and loving. He loved his books, he really enjoyed his university work, he was fashion conscious, loved clothes and was even a little vain. His dad, also called Michael, added, he was a role model to his nephews, cousins and younger kids. Every kid he knew looked up to him. Outside court, Detective Chief Inspector John MacDonald said, Michael was just 18 years old, a hard-working student and he had a great future ahead of him. Tony Paul is a coward. He has lied ever since his arrest and won't accept responsibility for what happened. The story Paul gave in court about two Yardies who he wouldn't name having committed the murder was quite frankly embarrassing. 
It would have made things easier for Michael's parents if he'd admitted his guilt in view of the overwhelming evidence against him, and if he'd told us what had actually happened and why it happened. But unfortunately, he wouldn't do that. Despite working as a civil servant for many years, he'd wasted his money. Michael and his mum worked hard and had a nice lifestyle, and Paul wanted part of that. Why he resorted to killing Michael and inflicting such horrendous injuries can only have been out of pure spite and vindictiveness. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Possessiveness, jealousy and controlling behaviour leading to extreme violence. Sadly, again, we've heard it so many times before on this podcast. All from a man who on the surface seemed a very mild-mannered civil servant. One point here is that we again see the very real problems caused by online betting, an issue I think we will see explode as being the cause of so much misery in the coming years. But that conversation is not for here, it's for another podcast. Tony Paul was the sort of guy who nobody thought was capable of such a terrible crime. Yeah, another one. But he was, and in doing so not only murdered Michael, a man with everything to live for, but destroyed the life of Michael's mum too. And it's clear that if it wasn't for Kathleen's bravery, she'd have died on the same day as her beloved son. And though we have no sympathy at all for Tony Paul, as he languishes in his prison cell as we listen to this podcast, do spare a thought for his own children. So often in the stories we cover, I think they are the hidden victims. Thank you for listening to this milestone episode of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head over to the Facebook group where you'll be made very welcome. And to support the show and become a better, more rounded and popular human being, just pop over to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. You'll find 35 full-length bonus episodes. Just think what a fun weekend you could have with those. Probably more fun than a weekend at a sauna in Rochdale, arguably. There's also other exclusive content about crime rather than Rochdale. So that is all from me for today. Please, please support my sponsors Stitch Fix and HelloFresh. You can find links to them on the show notes. Or why not drop me an email if you can't locate them or need any further help. Please do also take a look at the articles on UKTrueCrime.com, which I update regularly. So I'm off to wonder if it's punishment for one of the many things I do wrong and laugh at on a regular basis that my house sale has fallen through and maybe consume my own body weight in lager as I ponder this. So on this shocking bombshell, until next week, it's cheerio from me. Have a good one, and remember, despite all the others, stay classy.